As you're able, let's stand together as I read John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Please be seated. Good morning. There's something about that word, behold, that always amuses me. Behold, there is an exit sign. Behold, a hamburger. How often do we use that word behold in regular conversation? Not very often. It actually comes from an Anglo-Saxon word originally, uh, meaning hold thoroughly. But in the original language that uh, the New Testament was written in, it simply means look, watch, see, gaze at, behold. Football season is uh, just around the corner or so, I believe. And if you are into sports, you will know that coaches will quite regularly say to you, it matters very much where you look. Keep your eye on the ball. Watch carefully. See. Behold. The new football helmets that have been made, which are designed to help with the um, concussion problems, have also had an extra feature, which is to pull back uh, the edge of the helmet a little bit so that they can see better, look better, behold better. John the Baptist is here telling us to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? It is the pivotal moment in all human history. Up until this time, the Scriptures had been saying in one way or another, there will come a day when He will arrive. The Messiah is coming. One day, He will be here. Now, John the Baptist says, look, he's here. Behold, he is the lamb, not just a lamb. 
So as at Passover, God's people celebrated that moment when lambs were used to symbolically atone for God's wrath against sinners as a substitute sacrifice of a lamb. Now, John is saying, God's wrath is really fully atoned by the substitutionary sacrifice of the lamb. All those lambs that were sacrificed were pointing to this moment when the Lamb of God would turn up and He would die on the cross for the sin of the world. Note how John puts it. He takes away not just the sins, but the sin. The whole original curse of the sin of Adam is now in Christ removed. It is the sin, not just the sins. It is the sin of the world. Now, in John's gospel, the world does not uh, merely indicate the physical earth on which we live, nor does it merely indicate the size of the population of the globe, but the world in John's gospel is used to indicate the world in rebellion against God. So what is so praiseworthy of the sacrifice of the Lamb is not how many people there are in the world, but how bad the people are in the world from whom He removes their sin. Such sin is not removed automatically. There is a condition. Behold, John the Baptist uh, was uh, related to Jesus and so presumably knew him, but now he recognized him and he wants us to recognize him too, to see him, to behold him. We, to be saved, to grow spiritually, must not only have heard of Jesus but commit to Jesus. Not only believe Jesus existed, but believe in Jesus. Not only see Jesus sort of physically for a moment, but behold Jesus. All of salvation and all of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, comes from this beholding. A glance will save but it is the gaze of the faith that sanctifies. Great Chicago preacher A.W. Tozer put it like this, faith is not a once done act, but a continuous gaze of the heart at the triune God. Believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. So this morning as we look at this 
fantastically important and significant text in the Bible, the pivotal moment in all of human history. It is God, through His Word, encouraging us and saying to us as His people. It is saying to us as we perhaps turn up to church for the first time. Behold, see, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John here gives us three ways to do that. First, because of His eternal nature. Second, through the practice of baptism. And third, by the descent of the Spirit. First, behold the Lamb of God because of His eternal nature. Look with me at verse 30, if you will, in your Bibles. This is He of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because He was before me. Now, uh, John, you will remember, had already said this in verse 15, and that he says, this is he of whom I said, suggests that this is the kind of thing that John was um, given to say. Preachers have been given a message by God as they teach God's Word, and they have sometimes characteristic emphases that they repeat, and this seems to be one that John had. This is he of whom I said, he is greater than me because though he's after me, he was before me. You remember how I said, this is the one, this right now, behold, is the one who is greater than me because he was before me even though he comes after me. It was a characteristic emphasis. Look at it like this. Perhaps you go to see the show, uh, the Broadway show Hamilton, and you have a great time. You know, you really enjoy the rap music, and you get into it, and it's just brilliant. And after you've been there, you uh, have a friend who has a backstage pass, so you're really excited. And you uh, go backstage, and you get to meet uh, the actor who played Hamilton. And you're sitting down with him, and you find it all fascinating. You want to know the kind of research he did to discover more about the founding father, Hamilton, and, and, and his approach to life, and what he thought, and what he read, and what he believed. And so you're talking with the actor about Hamilton. It's really a good time. You're enjoying every moment, and then there's a puff of smoke, and Hamilton himself appears. And the actor says, he has come after me, but he is greater than me because he was before me. The reason why the cross works is not because of the bloodiness of the sacrifice. It is not because it has honored tradition in ecclesiastical circles. The reason why the cross works is because of who died. Because of His eternal nature. Because of the Word of God who became flesh. Because of the God-man who died on the cross. The great um, theologian Anselm of Canterbury wrote this in the 11th century, none but God can make the payment, and none but man ought 
to make the payment. Therefore, it is necessary for the God-man to make it. Beloved, when you are burdened by your sin, and you try to persuade yourself that all is forgiven, You remind yourself, perhaps, that God is a loving God. And as the French philosopher once said, God will forgive me. That's his business. And yet, you still sense your guilt. Remember this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because of his eternal nature. For some pious prophet from Israel to die for the sin of the world would be frankly absurd. But all the sin of the world is against God. And God himself took the punishment. Where now is your sin? If you believe, just believe. If you behold, it's taken away. Why? Because of his eternal nature as God. Second, John is saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through the practice of baptism. We don't talk about baptism a whole lot at this church, but here it is in the text, and so we will. Look at verse 31 with me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, in church circles, it's common to think of baptism as a personal and individual matter. But baptism is more than that. It is also a public declaration of who Jesus is and what He has done in your life. Now, if we don't spend a lot of time speaking about baptism as a church, it is certainly possible to over-egg the pudding and speak about baptism too much. I uh, remember the story of one frontier Baptist preacher who had uh, decided that he was going to preach on the text, Adam, where art thou? He announced his text and then said, uh, my sermon has three points. First, where was Adam? Secondly, why was Adam where he was? And thirdly, a few remarks about baptism. <laughs> I, I, I suppose all of us have been to a wedding. At a wedding, the bride wears white, indicating purity. She is uh, walked down the aisle by her father and given away by her parents, indicating a new family is beginning. 
The groom gives his bride a ring, and the bride gives the groom a ring, indicating their coming union. The couple exchange vows, indicating the covenant of marriage, not just a deal, a holy covenant of marriage. Until death us do part, they solemnly vow. At the end of the service, the newlywed walk out of the aisle hand in hand to loud applause and a fanfare of music. Now, a wedding is not a marriage, but each part of the wedding is designed to reveal what marriage is. Baptism is not conversion. But each part of baptism is designed to reveal what conversion is and that it has happened to the individual being baptized and therefore who Jesus is as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We die to our old way of life and rise to new life. We are washed by His blood to remove all stain of sin. And in so doing, we declare to the church, to the world, to the whole spiritual realm that we are now Christ's, and Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we have experienced that fact. Have you been baptized? If so, you will know that when you're doubting whether you have truly been forgiven, you can go back in your mind to the moment when you're baptized and all the subjective feelings you have about your sin and whether you've been forgiven, you can remember that there was a moment objectively when the church stood behind you and said, yes, this is someone who is truly regenerate and baptized you. Have you been baptized? If not, then you should be if you're a Christian. You say, I, I don't need to be baptized. Uh, baptism won't save me. Well, this is true. But if you have not been baptized, you are not through baptism revealing to your friends and family what Jesus has done to you. Perhaps this is why they do not follow you in your commitment to Jesus. You have made no public declaration. They don't think you're really serious about your faith. Jesus also did not need to be baptized. And yet, he was. And you, in submission to Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, are to follow his example as well. It will give you great joy to see how when you invite your friends and family to your baptism, God uses it to reveal Jesus to the church and to the world. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because of his eternal nature as God. This it is the God-man, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world through the practice of baptism. And then third, behold the Lamb of God by the descent 
of the Spirit. Look at verses 32 to 34 with me. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a, a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize of water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The external water of baptism indicates the work that Jesus will do by regenerating, by giving us his spirit that we might then walk in newness of life by that same spirit. Now, presumably, in one sense, uh, John the Baptist already knew Jesus, humanly speaking, because uh, Jesus is one of John's relatives. Luke chapter 1, verse 36, Mary and Elizabeth, we are told, were related. But until this moment, when the Spirit descended, John did not know Jesus in the sense of not knowing who Jesus really was. On uh, 12th of January 2007, a thousand or more commuters passed through Longfont Plaza station of the Washington, D.C. subway. For about 45 minutes, one of the most famous violinists in the world, Joshua Bell, played on his 1713 Stradivarius worth about $3 million or more, and for this performance, Bell earned $32.17 in loose change. Three days earlier, Bell had performed to a packed house at Boston Symphony Hall. The same stunt was actually uh, done 77 years earlier by the Chicago Evening Post when then-famous violinist Jacques Gordon also performed unrecognized at a Chicago subway station. Jesus was not recognized until the Spirit descended. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation in Genesis chapter 1. The dove sent out by Noah to indicate the ending of God's wrath as the flood had receded. So now the Spirit of God, indicated symbolically by a dove, descended on Jesus and remained with him publicly to show who he really was. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through whose death God's wrath is satisfied as the dove descends, as the Spirit descends. God, as it were, is saying to those who will behold that this Lamb of God is the one through whom He will offer us the dove of peace. Do you know Jesus? 
Is he to you the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb that John, as the son of priest Zechariah, would have seen many times at Passover, but now fulfilled? Is he the sacrifice for the sin of all the world? To recognize Jesus, you need the Spirit. The Bible says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Bible says this, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's by this Spirit that we discern who Jesus is. For God who said, let light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The Bible says this, beholding the glory of God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. The face of Christ, spiritually discerned. And at this moment, The Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the the creation with the Spirit descending now on the Word who spoke all of creation into existence. The Lamb of God is seen to be the one who takes away the sin of the world. Behold Him. Each day as you find Jesus, the living Word, through the written Word. Word. We live in such a busy time, don't we? Does your day look a bit like this? The alarm goes off in the morning and the TV turns on. You get in the car and the radio news broadcast begins. You stop to fuel at a gas station, and even there the TV screen is on. Your phone alerts interrupt every train of thought with reminders of appointments and trending tweets and emails and messages. Your cubicle at work is surrounded by people who talk incessantly. Noise, noise everywhere, nor any drop to think. Concentration replaced with multitasking. Creativity with productivity. Beholding with busyness. And then we come to church. And we stop. And we sit. And we behold. It's hard to do, I think, sometimes, and especially so in a place like Wheaton, which is so 
surrounded by all the peripherals of religion and the paraphernalia of Christianity. Reminds me of the story of the preacher who was known that when he was preaching and his voice would get a little sore, his throat would dry up as he was preaching, that instead of having a glass of water on the pulpit, he had a glass of milk. He was also well known as a teetotaler. He didn't drink any alcohol whatsoever. It was a conviction for him, a conscience issue. One day, some of his students decided to play a trick on him uh, for a bit of fun. And in that glass of milk, they decided before the sermon began, they would add a little extra something. They spiked his milk. Well, in the middle of the sermon, as his voice began to um, get tired, he reached for the glass of milk and just took a little bit of a sip. And a inquisitive expression came on his face. And then, rather lusciously, he drank the whole thing. <laughs> Put it down and said to the congregation, what a cow! <laughs> oh, we take ourselves far too seriously, don't we? All this religion, all these stuff, all these books, 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 all these things of religion. There was another preacher who was uh, warming up um, the acoustics in the building, checking out the acoustics in the building before he was due to preach. If you're a communicator, you will know that every building has its own little quirks in terms of communication, how your voice will be heard at the back right. So they're all slightly different. He was in this large auditorium, and he was using this very text to assess the acoustics. The place was empty, and just a few cleaners were going around getting ready for the mass crowd that was to arrive shortly enough. And he was saying over and over again, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he listened for the echo and then adjusted. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He went on this over and over and over again, and unknown to that preacher, in the back right-hand corner, out of his eyesight, a janitor got down on his knees and did precisely that. Would you this morning behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask for Your Spirit to convict us of our sin
and show us our Savior. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.